As we begin our message, I want to ask you how your block map is going. We used these a little while ago as an opportunity for you to jot down the names of the people that are around you geographically, and so I hope that you did that back then, and I hope that in the last couple of weeks you've been able to add some more names to that. So instead of it saying the person at number seven or the person across the road, that you now know their names, or for some people who you maybe only knew a little bit, you now know a little bit more of their stories. If that isn't something you've been doing, I would encourage you, you still have time to be able to do that before this series finishes. Uh, It is a really important step that we want to take to just say, do we know the people who are around us? We've been doing this series, Love Your Neighbour, as an opportunity for us to stare into one of Jesus' clear commands to us, the command for us to love our neighbours, the people around us. That Jesus summed up that everything that we need to do in order to follow him is to love God and to love people. And so we want to stare into the second part of that. We spent the first week looking at the early church and how it was that this church exploded in such an amazing way and that a big part of that was because they were people who loved their neighbours in really, really amazing and generous and servant-hearted ways. The second week, we looked at the Good Samaritan, the story that Jesus told as a way of helping people to be able to understand who our neighbours are. And then last week, we looked at the challenge that we often face when we think about loving our neighbours, which is time. And we looked at the story of Mary and Martha and the challenge of whether we're just so focused on doing stuff for people that we forget to be with people, but also the challenge of whether we're prioritising the best things in our lives or just doing the stuff that kind of comes on our plate. So in the midst of all that, I hope you've been continuing to pray for opportunities to be able uh, to find out a little bit more about your neighbours, opportunities to be able to serve your neighbours and to be able to chat with them. Next week is Neighbour Day on March 29th and so obviously that's going to look a little bit different than uh, what we were expecting. We can't necessarily throw big gatherings around that, at least indoors, but I hope that you've been continuing to think about that. It's still perfectly fine for you to invite a neighbour over for a coffee next week uh, or to be able to spend some time together and so as we head into Neighbour Day, encourage you to do that. And practically speaking, as we think about this idea of loving our neighbour, we do recognise that spending time together is a key part of what it means to love our neighbours. That yes, we can love them by doing acts for them, doing nice things for them, uh, but at the end of the day, it really comes down to us getting to know them and spending time with them. And when we see Jesus, we see him spending a lot of time hanging out with people. And in particular, we see him spending a lot of time eating with people. In fact, two verses before the passage that we're looking at today, we read this. This is Jesus speaking. And he says, The Son of Man came and he ate and drank. And you said, Look at this man. He is a glutton and a wine drinker, a friend of tax collectors and other outcasts. We know that Jesus' reputation was as a bit of a party animal because he spent a lot of time at parties with people, hanging out with people, and in particular, he was accused of being a glutton and a drinker. And so we know that Jesus probably had a good feast when he got together with other people and that Jesus probably must have drunk some wine as well to be accused of that. We know that he spent time with people who were on the fringes. Being a friend of tax collectors and other outcasts is something he was accused of as well, which came from him spending so much time hanging out with them as well. And we could say that's just because it's culturally an expectation in the Middle East that they practice hospitality a lot more than we do. And in Jesus' day, it was much more normal to hang out with people. But the reality is that it's true for us as well. If we think about the times that we have as fond memories... A lot of them are times spent hanging out with other people. 
So just spend a bit of time thinking about your, some of your favourite memories over the course of your life. Some of them have probably involved eating with people, sitting around a table sharing a meal together, sitting around in the backyard eating a barbecue together, meals at special events like birthdays or weddings, being able to go to a park and be able to have a picnic or go and sit down the beach and be able to eat some fish and chips together. Even memories of just sitting down and having a coffee and maybe some cake with someone might be fond memories that you have. Special times that we spend with other people. They're really ingrained into who we are and it is a part of our culture as well. And so I want to throw this out there, that as people who are Jesus people, we should actually be party people. We should be the people who throw the best parties. We should be the people who practice the best hospitality. And not because we have to, not because we want to impress other people, certainly not. Remember what we talked about last week with Mary and Martha. We do this because we want to spend time hanging out with people and we want to throw the best opportunities for people to gather together and to have a good time together. And so today we want to talk about one of the other barriers that can stop us from doing that. And that is cultural barriers or connecting with people who just might come from a different background than us, have a different set of beliefs than us, or just be different than us. So we've got this fascinating interaction, and we're not going to work through the whole reading again. Again, hopefully you've still got that in front of you. But we've got a couple of key characters in this story. First of all, we have this guy, Simon, who is a religious leader, a Pharisee, one of the people who was trained to understand everything about the Old Testament law and how to apply that in all of the different situations. Someone that you would go to to be able to say, I need to know, what am I supposed to do in this situation or this situation? And so Simon invites Jesus over, which is really interesting when you think about it. We know the Pharisees had a pretty hard time with Jesus. They struggled a lot to be able to kind of interact with him and some of the things that he was saying. And so we don't know whether Simon invited Jesus over because he was curious about some of the things that Jesus was saying. Uh, We don't know whether he invited him over to be able to ream him out about some stuff and tell him off and say, I can't believe you're saying all these things, Jesus. We don't know whether he was just someone who was fascinated and thought this might be an interesting party guest to be able to have. And so we invite him along. But what we do know is that Simon doesn't practice any normal hospitality with Jesus. He doesn't wash his feet when he comes in. And in Jesus' day, everyone's walking around on dusty roads that have lots of animals that also share those roads. And animals obviously leave little deposits all over the roads. And so you can imagine what your feet would have been like walking around in sandals in those days. And so it was common hospitality when someone came into your house to wash their feet and to clean them up a little bit. We also are told that Simon didn't give Jesus a welcome kiss, a common greeting in the Middle East, and he didn't do that for Jesus, which is a bit odd. And Jesus also says, you didn't supply any oil for my head. You didn't anoint my head with oil. In the Middle East, because it's so hot, one of the things that they do is to use oil, often olive oil, as a way of being able to cool people down. And so you walk in from the hot sun and you have some oil poured on you, which helps to just cleanse a little bit, helps to cool you down a little bit, uh, but also has a nice smell to it. And so you can kind of deal with some of the odours that might be floating around as well. So Simon didn't do any of these things for Jesus at all. And we have to ask ourselves, why was that? Was he distracted like Martha was last week? He was so busy running around getting everything organized that he forgot to do those things. Did he not care about those things? He wasn't someone who really cared about hospitality that much, so he didn't bother with it. 
Maybe he was so in awe of Jesus when Jesus walked in that he just completely forgot. It's like, oh, what am I supposed to do again? I don't know. I completely forgot what I'm meant to do. Maybe he wasn't sure whether he was supposed to do these things for Jesus. It's a bit of confusion. Jesus is this carpenter's son who probably doesn't deserve as much uh, of these sorts of things as other people do, but he's a prophet, so maybe he does. Maybe he just wasn't sure. I also find it fascinating that Jesus was open to go and spend time with Simon as a Pharisee. We all often think about how Jesus did spend time with all these outcasts and all these people who were on the fringes, but it's interesting that Jesus chose to go into a religious leader's house and to spend time with them as well. We kind of expect that Jesus wasn't interested in hanging out with them, didn't care what they had to think, but he did. He often spent time with them as well, eating with them, and learning from them, learning with them. So Jesus ends up at Simon's house. All of these things happen, and they end up sitting at the table. Now, it's really important for us to understand what that looks like because when we think about sitting at the table, we think about sitting on a chair at a table, and so this whole interaction about someone washing Jesus' feet can be a bit weird, which she kind of under the table washing them, what was going on there. But in Jesus' day, you would actually recline at a table. Everyone would sit down, uh, lie down actually, with their heads towards the table and their feet sticking out the other end. And so you kind of have this picture of everyone around a table with their legs sticking out the back. And so that's the picture for us to keep in mind as we think about this woman who comes and washes Jesus' feet. We don't know much about her except that she's a sinful woman and so we can make some assumptions about why that is, that it probably had something to do with her lifestyle and some of the choices that she had made. But somehow she hears that Jesus is going to be at this guy's house. And in Jesus' day, those houses were big open courtyards. They had that where they would often eat. And those were often open to the public. So if you walked past, you could go and jump in and hang out with them as well if you wanted to. And so we don't know whether she intentionally sought Jesus out or whether she was just walking past and happened to see him. But just seeing Jesus made her start weeping. This recognition of the choices that she'd made and the things that she'd done but then also this recognition of who Jesus is. And we know that she weeps so much that she actually ends up washing Jesus' feet. So think about that. If it was just a couple of tears, that wouldn't be very much at all. But she's weeping so much that she has enough water to be able to wash Jesus' feet fully. She then realises that she's supposed to dry Jesus' feet, but she doesn't have anything with her. She doesn't have a towel to be able to wash, uh, wipe Jesus' feet with, and so she lets her hair down and wipes his feet with her hair. Now this is also something that's completely inappropriate in Jesus' culture. If you were a woman, you kept your hair up and that was it. You didn't let it down. It was seen as something that was very inappropriate to do, especially when men were around. And so she does this to wipe Jesus' feet. And so yet again, she's made a bad mistake there. Then she pours this expensive perfume on his feet as well. Something where it's like, oh, what are you doing? Wasting all this perfume and why are you pouring that on his feet? All of these questions. And so Simon sees all of this playing out with this woman. And part of the reason that we can read into the text of why Simon had him over was because he wanted to find out whether Jesus was legitimately a prophet or not. Could he speak on behalf of God? Could he represent God well? And so he thinks to himself, well, obviously he's not a prophet because if he was, he would know that this is completely inappropriate, how this woman is acting. He would know what sort of woman she was and he would be distancing himself from her. We recognise that Simon was someone who knew everything about the law. He was someone who knew all of the rules. He knew what he was supposed to do and what he was not supposed to do. But the reality is that Simon was someone who struggled to know how to love. 
He knew what to do, but he didn't know how to show love. He didn't know how to show love to the woman. And really, if we look at it, he didn't know how to show love to Jesus either. We've talked about this before, that Simon was so focused on doing the right thing that he forgot to think about what the most loving thing was to do. And so Jesus knows what Simon is thinking, and so he tells this story to help him understand what's going on. In verse 41, Jesus says, There were two men who owed money to a moneylender. One owed him 500 silver coins and the other owed him 50. Neither of them could pay him back, so he cancelled the debts of both. Which one then will love him more? And that's one of the things that we love about Jesus, that he doesn't ream Simon out. He doesn't just tell him out, tell him off. He tells this really simple story to remind him that the people who are struggling, the people who don't have it all together, the people who make mistakes, the people who are in desperate need of forgiveness, they're often far more appreciative, far more grateful, and often far more loving in response than people who think that they've got everything sorted. Simon realistically was, and this was true of a lot of the religious leaders, someone who thought that he had it all together, that he could invite Jesus in and kind of measure him up and make up his mind about whether he was legit. The woman, on the other hand, knew that she didn't have it all together. She knew that she wasn't worthy, and she simply wanted to show Jesus how much she loved him. So as we come back to our theme of this series, I want to jump into a reflection question for you for this week as we think again about what all of this means as we try to love our neighbours. And our reflection question is two parts. Which of my neighbours do I struggle to relate to and how can I see them through the eyes of Jesus? Which of my neighbours do I struggle to relate to? How can I see them through the eyes of Jesus? All of us have people in our lives that we don't necessarily get on well with, and all of us have people that we sometimes make judgments about before we know them very well. I felt really challenged as I was reading this this week about the reality of how sometimes I think about more religious people. Often when we think about a question like this, we think about people who are a bit more difficult or people who make poor choices like the woman that we've got the interaction with. But Jesus also challenges us in this about people who are more religious than maybe we would prefer them to be. People who are very focused on doing the right thing all of the time. People who are worried about other people's perceptions of them. People who maybe use language that we don't find super helpful as they talk about what their faith looks like. Jesus wants us to wrestle with how we love both groups of people people who are more religious and people who are on that extreme and people who maybe do have very difficult lives, people who do have backgrounds which might be very different, people who make choices that might be very different from the choices that we want to make. And so the challenge for us as we head into this week is to look at all of those people and say, do I need them to sort themselves out before I'm willing to accept them? Or will I be like Jesus, where I'll offer acceptance and offer love and offer forgiveness even to people that I struggle with? And so as I think about my neighbours around me and as I think about what it means to interact with them and to be able to love them, can I see all of them the way that Jesus ultimately does? We're in a very strange time, as we've talked about throughout this service. 
what's amazing is that there are lots of people around us who are doing a great job of loving their neighbours. Far from the narrative that we often see on the news, which is all about how everyone's in it for themselves and everyone's hoarding toilet paper, there are people who are actually caring about the people around them, knocking on their door and saying, do you need anything? Checking in with people. I know some of you have been doing that. You've told me this week about how you've checked on neighbours, how you've gone to the shops and said, oh, is there anything that you need while I'm there? And been helping others out in that way. For those who are isolated, those who are alone, it's a great opportunity for us to just regularly check in with them and see how they're doing. Lots of other people who don't necessarily follow Jesus are doing a phenomenal job of that. As Jesus people, we should be on the front lines of engaging with our neighbours during this time. It would be such a shame if other people looked at us and saw us as Pharisees, saw us as people like Simon, who kind of step back and just want to assess everyone else, but can't actually engage with the people who desperately need it the most. So I'm going to pray that as we head into this week, we can have our eyes open, we can see people the way that Jesus does, and we can love them the way that he wants us to love them. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you challenge so many cultural norms. So frequently we recognise that you're someone who is spending time with people who most of the religious leaders would say you shouldn't have been spending time with. We thank you for the challenge that that gives to us about the ways in which we perceive other people, particularly people who come from hard backgrounds and people who've made bad choices in their lives or have significant consequences of things that have happened to them. Help us to see them the way that you see the woman in this story and to love them the way that you loved her. But challenge us as well about the ways in which we interact with those around us who might be more religious. Help us not to be people who rip into them or challenge them in really significant ways, but just like Jesus, gently come alongside of them, love them, ask them provocative questions like the story that Jesus told to just get them thinking, but to be able to love them as well. And as we head into this week, as we continue to work through what's going on around us, we pray that you would, be, you would help us to be people who love well, that you would help us to be people who engage with the people around us, who make it a priority to spend time with the people around us, that you would help us to be inviting, that you would help us to provide hospitality to those who need it the most. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.